Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Do me a favor, smack that thumbs up button, subscribe on the YouTube channel or the podcast. It's Rational Tuesday, which some people say are the is the greatest day of the week, the best day of the week, especially when the Eagles win a nail biter. I thought to, I thought this weekend was the first close win you could actually have a problem with as an Eagles fan. First game of the season against the Lions, the first game of the season, anything can happen. Going out west to the Cardinals early, I thought that was a gritty win. This one felt a little tense at times, uncharacteristic penalties, uncharacteristic play calling, bad timeouts, clock management, all that stuff. But they were down 10, entering the fourth and one, which I haven't done since 2010. It was a gritty performance from a team that faced adversity, that gutted out a 17-16 win, and now the Birds are 9-1 and one and a game up on the Vikings with the tiebreaker. Shout out to the Cowboys. So let's bring on Kevin Kincaid. Let's bring on Russell Joy. Kevin, are we able to finally admit that the Eagles losing a game might not help them in the long run? Yeah, that was not uh it's not a good idea. Who wrote that? I want to know the NFC executive who who said this. Yeah, not a good day for that take, right? Yeah, you know, they because they lost to Washington and they came out and largely played like shit for three quarters, right? You know, so are you Negadelphia after that? Are you going Negadelphia after uh, the after the win? I think I think I'm in the middle. I think I, I'm a I'm a big middleman guy. Um, yeah. I think you can definitely go Negadelphia if you want. I think you can go Positelphia if you want, or you can just meet in the middle. Would um, never work. On, I would never work on sports talk radio because you gotta kind of gotta kind of pick a side. You know, it's boring. Yeah, good thing is that's no uh, no transmitters. This is just on YouTube where any where any point goes. Uh, yeah. Rush Joy, thanks for joining us. Um, we asked three other people before you, but we needed you in relief, so we really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> You know what? I'm I, I would say that I'm happy to be here, but I would also be lying. I'm contractually obligated to be here. Exactly um, right. So here we are. Um very excited, guys. I mean, let's be honest. That you know, you want to talk about the Eagles, but the World Cup is back. So that's where we're at, you know? <laughs> Did we need to zoom yeah. in on that? Please. <laughs> let's zoom in on that mustache one more time. Yeah. I need to you see like that? that again. Like, yeah. that's, that's good Please keep keep the zoom in. The zoom into the mouth. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, can I can I just say though the thing the thing that that bothers me though is like why are people negative after that game? Why? Because like, I think, what, did even, you not listen to the damn intro, Russ? I think I yeah, laid it like, out pretty even, perfectly. But like even the best teams in the history of the league in the history of sports go through bad games or go through games where you know you underwhelm in like two facets of the game, but like we could just as easily flip this and say the thing that everybody went into that game bemoaning was Gannon's defense and the fact that, like, you had to go in and, and pull two guys off the scrap heap in free agency, and they both came up and made big plays in the game. So, like, you know, maybe it's just because it's that time of year. Joy is going to start popping up in all the Christmas displays. But, like, I don't view this as a bad thing. I actually think that, like, the Eagles, although it wasn't a – excellent or a complete game you had a Jalen Hurts drive that wins you a game you have solid defensive performance like I look at it and I say you know what now we know that this team could potentially win an ugly game like that in the playoffs so I feel good I think it's good I think it's because we got such an ugly game on Monday and then I think we turned around and like I said it was just 
the whole game from the sideline, and one of the things I think that we haven't as Eagles fans had to deal with this year is is bad play calling, bad as bad clock management. There's always bad clock management. Uh, that that fourth and two at the end of the game, that two minute warning, really rubbed me the wrong way when they came out in the uh, the the rugby scrum middle package. Uh, it looked like trying to draw the guys offside. Supposedly, according to Jason Kelsey, uh, that is you know the percentages are high there to draw defenses offsides. I don't you know obviously we're not in the analytics room. I just I don't know. I think I think a lot of people, me included, kind of expected a beatdown. You know, a beatdown with with Jeff Saturday being the coach and everything, and them going out and and, and winning against the Raiders and kind of smelling themselves. And I'll, I'll get I'll concede a point here is one of the one of the assistant coaches told I think somebody at the Athletic before the game that was on the Colts and said we had our best practice uh, of the entire season. We had our best week of practice the entire season. So if you if you want to take those kind of quotes. Um, I think you know you can go on your side and be like, "Hey, this is a this is a gutsy, uh, smacked in the face win." Kev, what do you think, man? First, I want to respond to Russ's take. I think like the interesting thing was that the thing that everybody was critical about in the Washington win that was the best part of the Eagles in this win. You know, so everybody bitching and moaning about the defense and should Jonathan Gannon be fired? His unit won the game for them, really. You know, so that's interesting. Wrinkle number one. Wrinkle number two is like if you separate the individual on-field performances from the decision-making side of the game and the management side of the game and the greater philosophical approach, that was where the concern was for me um, because they made some plays offensively early, right? But then it would be like a dumbass penalty or you're running Boston Scott three times in a row prior to that fourth down. Jalen Hurts, I think actually should get more criticism than he is for this game because he had a couple bad late down drive decisions that third and 11 um, where he didn't chuck the ball out of bounds and moved him out of what could have been field goal range that um, fourth down at the end there, I guess he he just ran out of bounds and he didn't even throw, he didn't even do anything with it at all. Um, Like multiple ones on those, him, Steichen and Sirianni, you know? So that was more of the, the takeaway for me, I think was that when it came to game, management, individual decision-making, some of the play calls, that looked off to me. And that was not what we had seen. Shane Steichen had been the best, probably the best of the of the Sirianni-Gannon trio for a large part of the year, you know? So you can go positive or negative based on, like, were you anti-Gannon? Okay, well, he cleaned it up, but now, like, Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni look like they fell off a little bit. And I wonder how much of the emotional Frank Reich shit had to do with it. Because I wasn't expecting that, man. I wasn't, like... I like they asked him about it leading up to the game. Like, hey, what do you think about Frank Reich being fired? I mean, he kind of Sirianni kind of blew it off, didn't really say much about it. But you know, as we know now, it, it really affected him. You know? Is this podcast for Frank Reich? Yeah, this shit is for Frank Reich. This shit, right. yeah, this shit we're recording right now is for Frank Reich, the true yeah. architect of the Super Bowl. That's this right. one's for Frank this Frank. one's for Kyle Scott. This podcast is for Kyle <laughs> yeah. Scott. It's yeah. for Adam Lefko. Uh, <laughs> Anyone else that's ever been on it, you know, Barchard, yeah, John Barchard was on a crossing road <laughs> podcast back in the day. You know, it's what's funny to me is like it's not even that Frank Reich got got fired because he probably was going to get fired anyway, like they just based on performance. But I think Sirianni was more if I gotta like dive into Sirianni's brain, I think he was probably more upset with how it went down. Mm-hmm. Like they the owner comes out and makes him bench the starting quarterback and then fires him and replaces him with a guy who's doing pancake breakdown video on ESPN two weeks earlier. So if I had to guess, that's probably what Sirianni was more upset about 
he probably comes from like the fraternity of like we put in the time and effort and this guy deserves mm-hmm. better angle if i had to guess but Re- I don't realistically know. we probably know one percent of what's really going on in the colts uh the colts organization i feel like um you know you had you had to you had the owner uh, saying you they had to bench Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger of all places, so now you're putting your eggs in Sam Ellinger's baskets of all players and stuff. So yeah, I would agree 100 percent with you, Kev, that you're probably right that like he was just pissed off the way it happened, and then to to institute Jim Mercer's drinking buddy as the uh, as the head coach, which is really funny. Um, Kevin, uh, permission to add a new phrase to the uh, exposed in the adjustments banned list? Yes, absolutely. Um, Nick Sirianni is being outcoached by so and so. Unless you can yeah. show your work, you have to tell me how Nick Sirianni is being outcoached by Jeff Saturday. Because yeah. during the CBS broadcast in the second in the second uh, quarter, basically CBS was like, "Jeff Saturday is a glorified babysitter, and the offensive." guys are coaching and the defensive guys are coaching and he's just overseeing it. He's not part of the scheme. He's just an overseer. Yeah. Yeah. He's not part of the scheme. He's not part of the play calling. He's not part of anything. So if you want to say Jeff Saturday is out coaching, you're wrong. It's the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator or the special teams people. Like they were out coaching Nick Sirianni. Yeah. He's not doing much coaching at all. He's just kind of organizing and like, you know, pulling it all together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Reggie Rain are just like time though. Like there's an argument to be made. That you can't say that Nick Sirianni outcoaches anyone either, right? Because he doesn't call the plays on offense. He has nothing to do uh, with the defense, at least in terms of, you know, what they're dialing up in a a given moment, unless he's telling Gannon, you know, like, under no circumstances do we blitz on this third down play. Uh, He has nothing to do, presumably, with special teams in, in the moment. So, I mean, maybe it's just part of a larger conversation about the way that some teams have, you know, kind of trended to having coaches who are involved in the way that Sirianni has said that he wants to be involved, where he can go over and talk to the defense when they're off the field or talk to the offense when they're off the field. And like maybe the, the, the old school mentality of like, this guy is the head coach. This is the guy who calls all the plays. He's got, you know, his fingerprints on everything. Like maybe that's not as true as much in the NFL as it was, or at least in the case of Sirianni, you know, you could almost make the argument that he's doing a lot of the same things that Saturday is doing, right? Like, this was not like an offensive mastermind performance that you can tie to Nick Sirianni, nor is it a an offensive, you know, uh, disaster that was, you know, overseen by Sirianni. So it's kind of tough, I think, to to assign, you know, blame or, or even to, you know, flip the script and say, hey, you know what, in the, in the fourth quarter or in that last drive, Nick Sirianni outcoached Jeff Saturday, because I don't know, what kind of coaching you can tangibly say he did in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I have many thoughts on this. First of all, just because one coach isn't having a good day, doesn't mean that the other guy is automatically having like a better day. Like it could just be flat. Saturday could just be like kind of hovering right around the median. Right. And Sirianni could be having a shitty day. So Sirianni, you could just say Sirianni's not having a good day. Shane Steich is not having a good day. It doesn't automatically mean that Jeff Saturday is doing anything amazing. Right. You know, so this incessant need to like compare, one thing to another, right? And to Russ's point, it's like even if you want to get specific and say, well, I don't like Sirianni's call or decision on this. We don't fucking know really if he made that decision or not. That's that's why we always had this. This goes to the Reich and Filippo thing actually perfectly because this is my argument the entire time. It was not that the Reich and Filippo deserve more credit than Doug Peterson take was right or wrong. It's just that it was ultimately 
unprovable because we just did not have like empirical evidence to latch onto to help us, you know, um, either prove that take or deny that take, right? Because because he didn't call the plays. Frank Reich didn't call the plays back then. So unless you had unless you like wiretapped the Eagles' offensive game planning room and you were able to like quantify how much Reich was involved in it or how much DeFilippo was involved, or how much Doug was involved, there's never any way to to build that argument one way or another. So when people say like, oh, they got exposed or they got to make adjustments or they got, or this guy got like out coached, you know, it's just like very bland surface level stuff, you know? And that's always been my problem with it because like, I don't, I expect fans and media to, to use that kind of stuff. It shouldn't come from the broadcast. Cause like they've been there and they've done that. Like they should know better that that's just, that doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. That's why I have a hard time analyzing sports because like, we don't know what goes in, like I said, one percent. What's going on in uh in in the Colts locker room? Like we don't yeah, understand one yeah. percent. We just came out. A Rob Thompson story just came out today that he was going to retire after the end of the season before Joe Girardi cut uh-huh. got uh got fired and he was named the manager. Like no, yeah. how does nobody know that? How do we not like if reporters aren't digging that out of there? Like we never know that. So much. See, we got a comment, but we, we got to be careful on that that's, stuff regardless. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's like we don't we don't know who's responsible for this or who's, but we got to say something because if you don't, then what what are you doing? You have no content. You have no radio program you have no nothing right it's like it's like unfashionable to be cautious because caution results in no content coming out you know we've been able to carve out a niche by like reminding people and being like on the other side of it and like you know calling out that bullshit where we see it but you can't have it can't just be <laughs> you know, every other like media outlet has to have something to talk about and so they latch right. on to these things regardless of where there's whether there's going to be weight behind it or not you know so that's why you have the that's why the ecosystem is as weird as it is Ross, you seem like you wanted to say something. No, I've decided that on this show today, I'm not going to make stupid comments. So I'm going to pass up on the opportunity to make it. I also haven't like unleashed any hot takes. See, this is this is like being level headed today. Ross, we're, four, we're, we're 14 minutes into an hour long program. You have a new time, buddy. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the World Cup or the uh, or the NBA yet. Um, by the way, Ross, thanks for bringing up the point that me and Kevin hammered home on Thursday's show. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We always appreciate your support. That's what I'm here for. Um. I was I have some just weird thing that I just noticed. I, I was coming home. Uh, I was a little late to the one o'clock game, so I put on WIP. Mike and Merrill, their ability to get an add in 15 minutes before the game is unprecedented stuff. I don't know how much how much you guys listen to WIP on game day. I'm usually an announcer guy. This is probably the first time I've listened to WIP in probably a year before uh, before a Phillies or for an Eagles game. They crammed in like 20 ads within 15 minutes. I mean, the devil works hard, but the WIP salesmen work harder over there. I know, Kev, your your wife used to be one over there. Yeah, they they it's it's a, like a lucrative thing for them, you know. I don't remember what the number was. I don't know what the number is now, but it was it's like many millions of dollars, you know, for the for the rights, the radio rights to the Eagles, right? So then they sell all they they assume all that inventory and they sell all those commercials and their sales team does all of that, you know, so you get like Bradford white water heaters, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I think like at least six or seven years ago, it was like $8 million for the radio rights, you know, and then you would make that back and more by, by being the uh, official, you know, the official partner or whatever. Damn, so, I mean, it's a big, it's a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive deal for them to, to it do was, that. It was funny because Merrill looked at the windows, like the windows of Lucas Oil 
yeah. uh, stadium at one point. He goes, and look at those beautiful windows. And Ness is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Yeah, Pella Windows and Doors. Did I ever tell did I ever tell on this uh show the story of when I was at Merrill's house for an assignment? I don't, I don't know. What were you doing at Merrill's three? house? Yeah. So I was with Channel Three and like we had no staff. I don't I don't know why. We were always short staffed somehow. Top four media market, right? And um they're like, hey, we need you to go take a camera and go shoot something at Merrill Reese's house. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. Why not? So they sent me up there with the camera. He lives in like Bluebell on like a golf course or something like that. And we were doing a feature story on him and how he prepares for Eagles games. And what he does is he has uh, – well, so I go up there and I knock on the door. Hey, Kevin from Channel 3. Yeah, come on in, blah, blah, blah. But he's got a, like an amazing study and um, – his living room has like a ton of like merchandise signed or not merchandise signed like memorabilia. We're we talking like we're talking like books. We're talking like memorabilia. We're talking like uh, like old school helmets, yeah. footballs, pictures. Yeah, all that, all kinds of stuff. You know, from people that he's he's known from his years in the business, right? And so I filmed him his his like pregame or not pregame like lead up into the game preparation work where his wife sits there and has uh, like old school index cards like we used to use in school. And uh, she would just read like I would I watch him do it. He would like just she would just read him a name. She would say like, um, I don't know, pick a pick, pick somebody who played this game. DeForest Buckner. Darwin right? Walker. Yeah. And he would just yeah, and he would say DeForest Buckner, uh, you know, defensive and number 90, whatever, went to this college. And he would go bang, bang, bang through like all the things that he could remember about that person. And that's how he would do his, like his prep, you know, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. You know um, this again, this was like seven or eight years ago though. I know that Merrill's like, you know, I when think he should have like retired. 80, you mean 80 years old? So, say what? I said when, when he should have retired. Well, I mean, that's a discussion. That, oh, here comes the hot takes, you know, no, no, no. Hot it's, take. listen, man, we did a story about this like years ago, I think. And it got so lambasted that I think did, Kyle deleted or somebody took it down or something like that because you nobody like you wouldn't dare criticize Merrill back then you know and like now it's whatever but it's the same shit that we talk about like when we do these stories like Dick Stockton or like Lee Corso or whatever like you want people to go out when they're when they're like still relatively on top yeah Lee Corso is a a very good example of like probably should have pulled the plug figuratively not literally yeah uh, about four years ago yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what the case is with, with Merrill. You know, I mean, like they've got a spotter, right? So you see the guy up there with the binoculars who's like telling him, hey, it was number 15 or, or something like that. You know, and I don't, I don't know what the decision is like that. I would be interested to actually get feedback from listeners or from crossing broad readers. I mean, like, do you guys still listen to the WIP broadcast? Do you think Merrill still has it? I mean, you know, should he call it quits? I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's always such a the so it's such a like tough, tough topic. You know what I mean? So many, so many people are so tied to the nostalgia act of it that it's like, to to me, right? Like I, I look at I look at two other announcers who became like iconic or tied to their respective team in sport. Um, one is obviously Harry Callis, who I think you could argue was still at the top of his game when he passed away. Um, now baseball is a different sport; not as much action going on. There are there is the ability to have breaks in between. There is the ability to pass Harry a note about, you know, pitching matchup. Harry also let the game breathe a lot. He wasn't filling every second with, you know, his commentary. The other one is Mark Zumoff, who chose to go into retirement at the top of his game. Is it sad? 
Yeah, like definitely, because I think Mark Zumov had many more years to give at the top of of his game and and like at the height of his craft. And like, what a shame that like he went through so many awful years towards the end of his career, you know, in terms of the team he was covering versus like, you know, whatever we want to say this team is like, in theory, this team could still be like sort of, you know, relevant, you know, they finished top four, whatever. Another one, I guess, like Jim Jackson. Some people love Jim Jackson. Some people don't. But, like, Jim Jackson is just as sharp as he's always been. Now, none of these guys, with the exception of Harry Callis, are as old as Merrill Reese. And you can make the case that because of where Merrill is, it's not like he's in Wells Fargo Center where he's on top of the action. Like, he's out a bit. I just, I, I don't I don't see it. I don't get it. I, I will admit that I didn't grow up listening to Merrill on the radio, so I don't have the nostalgic factor. So I, I look at this objectively and say, it's just, it it's not sensational commentary if it's the soundtrack of your childhood and like your your adolescence and your young adult life and that's why you like Meryl so much it's fine but like the the quality to me just isn't it, it just isn't there it doesn't live up to what I think people talk about Meryl as being it's uh, it's not quite as as drastic as like the people who point back to the days that there was the deli counter behind you know the 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 slicer behind the Wawa deli but like Things have gone down over time. You know, I, I just happens. don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see a scenario mean, where they like send Merrill off to pasture, you know, feels like they're yeah. just going to let it up to him. And I feel like it's going to be too long, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what like people have to start making that hard decision where it's like you lead it. You have to at one point be like, Hey, listen, we got to get a plan in place. You got a year, you got two more years. And then unfortunately we got to pull the plug and you just, if it's a blowback and the guy disagrees with it, you deal with the blowback. But at the, at the, at the, at the time when it comes around, like you don't want to get a Lee Corso situation. Like Lee, watching Lee Corso on game day, and I don't, I don't think he's been on it for like the last five weeks. And I don't know if, if they're just like saying he's in the hospital or he's saying he's dealing with a medical emergency, or they're just kind of like, dude, we can't have Lee Corso on here. And that's why they brought Pat McAfee in in like week two or week three because it was just yeah, like, yeah. Corso only does stroke, some didn't he? spotty, uh, like not like a couple years ago. Didn't Corso have a stroke? Yeah, like, he had a medical issue thing? like a couple years yeah, ago. But yeah. and he's just he, but like if you watch the first two weeks without McAfee, it was just like, dude, this is just this is tough because they would get rolling, they would get rolling, and you go to Lee Corso and the and the show would just deflate. But you know, here's here's kind of like the overarching point, and this is kind of what Russ is alluding to. It's like you want to be remembered at for for being the best and being at the top of your game. And we're only ever gonna look back at Zoom off as that. Right. Because he's not he never let it get to the point where he was anything less than at the top of his game. You know what I mean? And maybe that's the same with Jim Jackson, you know, but they're not affording themselves the opportunity to be remembered for anything less than that. Right. It's it's like if you're a really, really, really good band. Right. And you, you say, well, I could shit out another album or two, but those albums aren't really great. They go on your discography forever. You know, whereas if you call it quits after five albums, you're only going to be remembered for putting out bangers, right? So yeah, that's I mean, the thing I just want them to avoid, you know what I'm saying? There's not a lot of people who put out five albums and you're like, damn, one through five was awesome. And, you know, you might get three out of five. You might get two out of five and just yeah. live off of that and play greatest yeah. hits. I think Merrill also, example, I just want to make sure I make yeah. this point real quick too. Merrill only has to call 17 games a year, right? So I think like in the case of like Zoom Off or, or Jim or, or anybody else, it's like that's a grind doing that full – year with like your 81 82 games or whatever and having to do the travel that they used to do before the pandemic so i think it's almost apples to oranges when you're comparing football to to uh 
to to basketball and to to baseball and to hockey for sure. But I don't know. I just I don't I don't want people to think it's like an for me it's not an anti Merrill thing at all because I don't listen to the radio broadcast. I kind of pay attention to the TV broadcast and we talk about that in the stories that we write. I just don't want it to get to a point where people are like actively saying like, "Hey, Merrill's got to like you know somebody's got to somebody has to go to Merrill and tell him like, hey, that that's it." You know, like you want people to make those own decisions. You want people to wrap it up naturally. You want to remember people for being at the top of the game. You don't want to get to like a, a freaking Jason Peters thing where it's like, dude, this guy should have retired <laughs> four years ago. You know what I'm saying? Because we think now, we, but here's here's the point. We think differently of Jason Peters now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because he, let, because he let it go on for three, four years to like now he's a cowboy. Uh, Al so Michaels was- for me. Al Michaels for me. I loved Al Michaels and John yeah. Madden growing up. Yeah. Loved Al Michaels and Collinsworth. And then there was some time probably around the, around the Eagles Super Bowl, maybe a couple of years earlier where – yeah. Al Michaels has no juice anymore. Just no juice for a game. I don't know if you no, guys watch the Amazon no. Prime Thursday Night Football. That's bad. Going through the Like Herb Street's great, I think, but like Al Michaels just has zero juice. He cares about winning the over. Or he cares about winning the under. Or he cares about winning his, his his bet. That's really all he cares about right now. Yeah, I mean, just going through the motions, right? Like, you, there's and the problem is that these jobs are so few and far between that there's such a logjam of of like young and hungry people who who are good, and you're never gonna find out who they are and never really get them those opportunities if you're 85 years old and you're blocking them from doing that i'm not gonna i can't sit here and say that like dude who's been doing it for 30 years hasn't earned it and doesn't have the right to have a say in what their future is but nonetheless the the log jam persists right piggyback on piggybacking off that joe davis we didn't know joe davis was good until this year and that's because buck left look right because kevin burkhardt stepped up well i think on the nfl side of things too so You've actually gotten to to see two guys, two younger guys, mm-hmm. kind of step into those roles and, and excel. You know, the flip side of it, too, though, is it's really hard to bank on going with a new voice on a on a telecast when there's no guarantee it's going to work. Like, simply see what's happened to Monday Night Football yeah. pre-Buck and Aikman, right? Like, it what, what was it? It was McDermott. There was the year, remember, they had... Um, yeah, it was a bunch uh, of people. Um, Kornheiser was in the one year. They oh. had Jaws, like... And like it was hard. It was a grind. Who was the guy before um the guy who was the play by play? Uh McDonough? wasn't there one before Tarico? McDonough was Tessator? after Tariko. Tessator? Tessator. Yeah. Like with Booger and with, and with uh, Jason Witten. Yeah, like none of these people worked. So like there is something to be said for the fear of the unknown because you've seen it, like, and especially think about how important of a brand Monday Night Football is and ESPN having the rights is. And if they couldn't get it right, like I, I understand conceptually why a big network would be a little bit hesitant. I, I get to some extent why like TNT might have been hesitant at one point to move on from Marv Albert. Like there, there is something to be said for that. The difference, though, is if you're a local radio station, you know, for a fact, the people who listen to the game on the radio, many of them are going to remain listening on the radio no matter what, because they're not or you would assume Many of the people who have kind of made it, you know, a fabric of their being on game day to listen to the game, whether it's at a tailgate or whatever, they're not going to turn it off because you put in somebody else who does a solid job on play by play. I don't think the only way that that blows up in your face is if because of the increased, you know, number of people who've cut the cord, who are streaming, who might have like YouTube TV on at the game, like, you know, maybe those people just listen to the national telecast or they, you know what I mean? But like. I just don't see the scenario where the bottom falls out and people just say like, well, because Merrill's not on there, I'm not going to listen to the radio anymore. And that like, it's such a big market share 
that, yeah. you know, WIP is is incredibly impacted. Like, I just don't see it. I could be wrong. Maybe I am. Well, and if you cultivate the talent behind those people, look at Action News. They replaced a 40-year veteran with a 30-year veteran when Jim Gardner retired. And now they're people that you would call like their quote-unquote new talent. They've all been there for 10 to 15 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I don't they, even know they, who, they, who, huh? who would replace Merrill. <laughs> like, there's like, like obviously oh, yeah. like – Zoom off. We had Kate Scott, and that came nowhere. It would probably be like that. It would probably be someone who's has no ties national. to the city. Yeah, she was national. I, I, yeah, I mean that's a good question. I don't really know. Right? There's not like a minor league for calling Eagles games. I, I you know, back so. up the Brinks truck for Kevin Harlan, baby. Yeah, Kevin he's Harlan, the any, best by far. He's the, any, he, he's any, the best current. Yeah. Any and every major network who owns the rights to any sport should back up. Like yeah. this should almost be like live golf should go after Kevin Harlan with like a hundred billion dollar offer. He is so far head and shoulders better on NFL calls than anyone else. And I'd probably put him in the top two, top three uh, across the board in basketball as well. That man could like make me watch cricket. I would watch it if Kevin Harlan's calling it. Because I would buy into it. Yeah, it's been a big year for Saudi sports, if you think about it. They bought out all the golfers, then they beat Argentina in the World Cup. I mean, is anybody having a better year than Saudi Arabia? Yeah, Don't answer that question. <laughs> Let's talk about something else before we talk about that. Bob is sliding off the screen right now. Yeah, Bob is sliding off the screen. Let me ask you a question. Um, is there anything that could convince you that Giannis was not an asshole for pushing the ladder over? No. And that's, I don't even think you're being a homer if you say no. I think it just boils it down to uh, the dude making $12 an hour or whatever the fuck he makes. But, like, you're a $100 million athlete, man. Like, let the dude do his job. Yeah, don't you guys, be You guys don't have to fly out the next day, so you're not, like, crunched for time. You don't play till Monday. Let the dude do his job, and then you can get back on the free throw line. But supposedly there's this unwritten rule where, and I think only Kyle Lowry has ever been, you know, quote-unquote, able to do it back in, like, 2019 <laughs> for some reason. But supposedly there's an unwritten rule where it's, like, Away players shouldn't aren't allowed to shoot around after games. It's only yeah. the home guys. I, yeah, and I don't know. It's like it's funny to me because I actually misread that the first time because when I was watching the video back, I thought it was a Wells Fargo Center employee, and they, they may have been around there too, just doing security around the court. But the guy with the ladder, and I should have seen this right away, but he was going up to pull the camera off. Mm-hmm the backboard because ESPN has a different, it was a national TV game the night, the Friday night. And then on Saturday night, there was a local TV game. So they had to switch the camera setup back. There was no flyers game. There's no wings. There's none of that shit. There's no uh, frozen on ice or whatever. Right. So they didn't have to like do that kind of flip, but it makes Giannis look worse because all the guy would have had to do is like take five minutes to go up the ladder and pull the thing down. And then he could have kept shooting. You know what I mean? They weren't collapsing the the backboard. They weren't doing any anything like that. You know, so what I think happened, I can assume that Montrez Harrell came over, took the ball from Giannis. He went back over, left left the court to go get two more. And the guys probably thought, okay, Giannis is done here. So they went to start go to to do their jobs. And even though it's not an arena employee who's turning around and coming back on short rest to work at the arena again. You know, if that's an ESPN guy or a TV guy or whatever the fuck, like, you know, that person could theoretically have to be getting into a van and go into the next city or getting on a plane and go to the next. And so regardless of who the who the employee was or who he was working for, what specifically his job was, I mean, the, the bottom line is that you're like preventing regular people from doing what they have to do. You know, go shoot 5,000 fucking free throws back in Milwaukee. You know, it's like a, part, part of that to me is like I think people fall for that sometimes. It's like, oh, this guy's on the grind, you know. 
yeah. he's getting his shots up and he's just trying to get better. It's like, whatever, man, you lost the game. Just go the fuck home and you can shoot a thousand free throws at the facility the next day. Like to me, there's some posturing. Yeah. All he wanted to do yeah. was make what? 10 in a row and, and be done. Yeah. Does, yeah. It, does it matter that day? Are you guys going to lose the NBA finals? You're going to miss out on a playoff spot because Giannis didn't shoot 10 free throws after going four for 15. I understand you're frustrated, but like what's going on? Yeah. Go ahead, Russ. I hate defending this, but like, players are creatures of habit right they're they're total creatures of habit they're weird players are weird and what that does in that moment Giannis going out shooting free throws after like being terrible at free throws you know we could say that it's lip service we could say it's posturing but you see that as a fan of the bucks and you say he's working at his craft and like you might still be pissed off at Giannis for like missing free throws but you go all right the guy could just as easily take a shower, go home. He goes back out and he's doing it. And in fairness, if this were happening, like in the Ben Simmons days, if we had watched Ben Simmons go two for 10 from the line and at the end of the game, we see Ben Simmons is out there while all the workers, you know, like doing their thing, he's out there shooting free throws because he's pissed at himself and he's trying to hone his craft. We'd be like, you know what? You know, fuck Ben for missing all these shots. But at the same time, like, good, I'm glad he's working on it. Dickheads would be like, good, he should be. You better be working on his free throws. I, the 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 issue is like, is ESPN on that much of a time crunch? I'm not saying that what Giannis did with the ladder was a good thing. It wasn't. But like, I, I don't know. You you own the rights to the the A package for this league. The biggest star in the league, or one of the two, three biggest stars in the league, is is doing his thing. Make that the last camera you take down. You know, like just let the guy kind of do his thing. That's usually I, I what you, know. that's usually how you work around it, right? If you have like an obstacle and any kind of work that you're doing, okay, let me go do what else I can do. I get that take. I just, I just think from a, from a purely, you know, like optics standpoint in a vacuum, he just looks like a dickhead for pushing the ladder. And it's not like he like threw, it's not like he shoved the thing over. He just tried to move it out of the way. And then it kind of like got caught up and it toppled. Yeah. So whatever. I just pro wrestling enough. Like you'll you'll know. Like those. Well, is that what's next? Yeah, ladders, chairs. Ladders, ladders don't cooperate. You know, like they kind of like you know if they got rubber on the bottom, they're gonna kind of buck, and it makes it look worse. I think Giannis would do in a ladder match in WWE. He probably would. Why not? Probably win. Only has to go up like four rungs. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then he can reach the belt on the top. Here's here's here's. A con- converse point. I don't even know if that's a right expression. <laughs> don't try to use. Don't try to use eleven three words, Scott. Yeah, it will, it'll work. Yeah, just grunt. Montrez Harrell's out there shooting after the game. He's got three points in seven minutes the next day. It's like, did Montrez Harrell really have to take the ball? Did he really have to do his his shooting routine because he probably wanted to go out? And, He's corny uh, too. For yeah, he looks, exactly. Yeah. There's your there's your lip service on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. If nobody confronts Giannis. No one cares. We all say he looks like a dick for pushing the ladder. Montres Harrell goes out, and it's almost self-serving, right? Like, are are the ESPN workers and the arena workers going to be like, wow, man, Montres Harrell really went to bat for us on this one? No. Montres Harrell very, was, like, very cognizant of the fact that, like, somebody's probably filming this. Mm-hmm. And, I like, and it's going to be known that I, like, defended the workers. And, like, he's going to get some shine because he's not going to otherwise. You know, like, I don't know. Let me pull up a stat here. I'm going to see how many free throws Montrez Harrell has actually shot this year. Now, while you're doing that, there was also a an event for season ticket holders after the game 
for them to all shoot free throws today, which you want about a bunch of adults going down on the floor and shooting a bunch of free throws. But if you don't know Sixers Twitter, then you probably don't understand why people would find that uh, fun. Um, people have been training for years for that. <laughs> he shot 29 free throws this year, Montrez Harrell, like two a game. Yeah, how, how, many, jump shots how many jump shots? How many, how many shots from 15? His range is like my range and Reggie Evans' range. It's like a foot. So he how was, many of the 29 did he make? Uh, let me see. Montrez so Harrell is shooting is it 16%? Uh, 62% from the free throw line. He's 18 for 29 from the line All this right. year. So, okay. you know, Giannis was delaying the season ticket holder event as well. You know, people in the people in the Wells Fargo Center that, you know, work on the court and work for the Sixers want to get out of there and go enjoy their Saturday night. So I still think Giannis is a dickhead for doing it. And it literally could have taken five to 10 extra minutes for him just to wait do his whole charade, and then uh, there's also is it Kev? Isn't there also a hoop in the back by the media room? <laughs> it's stupid. It's yeah. There's no so like in the bowels of the Wells Fargo Center, you come out of the media room and you go to your right, and that's where the buses come in with the players. Um, it's on like the north end of the stadium, and there's a hoop, yeah, that's just screwed into the wall. But there's no uh, like pa- there's no paint. Like there's no like. Square. No, there's no backboard. There's no nothing. You've probably no, seen no, it because I think the Flyers used to play. Uh, they used to play um, basketball back there, and they used to shoot on it. Yeah, stuff. yeah, it was. Um, you see, like the dunk squad, like shooting back there after the game. Somebody's got a basketball for summer. But yeah, that was my joke. I'm like, you just send him back there and have him shoot. You know, somebody tape off like uh, the where the nail should be and let him uh, get some shots up if he really if he really wanted to. You know. By the way, we did the post this morning about the Wells Fargo Center ranking as like one of the dirtiest arenas on the um in the country or whatever you know and it was i don't know it's like it's funny because i laugh because at some point it was probably true you know maybe like four or five years ago before they did all the the renovations right but the the study was compiled by looking at how many yelp reviews mentioned the word dirty and then they took like food violations so there wasn't like much data to back up i think they found like three percent of the replies to the yelp reviews for the wells fargo center mentioned the word dirty you know, but after they put this is the thing that nobody wants to say, or at least has been like underreported. When Comcast put all of those millions and millions of dollars into Wells Fargo Center, like it's a pretty damn nice arena now. It is. No, it's it's way better because it used yeah. to be a shithole. It did used to be a shithole. It used to be a massive shithole. Yeah, I mean, I remember like well, you see the picture I used for the header for that, right? With the tra- yeah. the huge trash pile of trash. Right down underneath the, the bowels of it is a is a shithole. Like I yeah, was there a couple weeks ago. It it's just a bunch of yeah. Now, imagine working there. Imagine working there in January, like three times a week. You know what I mean? It's like it's got, the, got to be the most depressing full time yeah. beat if you're like Pompeii or something, and you got to be working in that shithole all the time. Or if you're one of the AP reporters, you can get back and forth between Flyers and Sixers, and you're always in the bowels. But yeah, it's like it's it's kind of nice now. The problem with the Wells Fargo Center was that it was like a 25 year old building that had like 50 years of use. I think there was a statistic somewhere, and I don't know. Maybe Russ knows. Like I don't. I want to try to look this up and try to find it again. But I think somebody reported somewhere that of all of the arenas in the United States, there were only like two that got more use than the Wells Fargo Center. And that was Staples and MSG. Staples and Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So the Wells Fargo Center was running so much shit in there that, of course, it was going to look beat beat up. And there was so much turnover with employees coming in and out and all the changeovers and things they had to do that it – like, of course, it was going to feel dirty and, and beat up and overused, you know? Well, you think about it. Like, Staples, I don't think Staples runs as many concerts as, like, Wells Fargo Center does. 
or maybe as MSG does, but they've got three pro teams, right? Like they've they've got the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Kings, mm. right? The the LA Kings, the hockey team. So they also have that issue too. They have that that NHL versus NBA switchover. MSG is is ob- obviously going to be incredibly overused because of the n- number of concerts that they're going to have and shows that are going to you know go on there because of what it is and where it is. It actually is kind of interesting, and it's kind of a testament, I guess, to the fact that like Philly as a concert venue, like as a concert town, um, and as an event thing, you think of Disney on Ice and such, like to be in the same kind of, you know, I know it's dingy or whatever, that yeah, was like the argument, but like to be that used so that you're in the same conversation as Staples and, and MSG is actually kind of impressive in a way. And the fact that like the whole building hasn't collapsed is also, you know, yeah. At, yeah, I mean, the real reason that Comcast put all this money into uh, redoing the entire arena, 610-632. It's not a thing anymore. I, I would be willing to bet. This is my last thing I'll say with this. I'd be willing to bet that all of the shit, all the reviews that said dirty were, were from, like, before they did the renovation, right? So the report go there and your feet used to stick to the fucking ground. Your shoe almost popped off. Like there was yeah. popcorn everywhere. I don't know what the bathroom. I don't know what the bathrooms situation is like. The, the media bathroom is like whatever. It's like back it's a in bathroom. the bathroom. Yeah, it's, it's 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 thirty urinals on a wall. Get me yeah. in, get me out, and get me. What back do you expect? Place. Right. What do you expect the bathroom to look to look like? Right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just We're not glad, like the like five star hotel here. Or I'm just glad there's not a guy giving me mints and fucking cologne at the uh, at, yeah. at the at the sinks, and I, I feel bad that I don't tip them. The bathroom attendant. Yeah, that was one of my favorite radio war stories. Was Mike Missinelli versus Jimmy Kemsky over the uh, bathroom attendant and what their per- what their actual purpose was. There is no purpose. Stop yeah. with the bathroom attendant. That actually has gone yeah. all way since COVID, which is great. Yeah. By the way, you 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 going down there to heckle Ben tonight, Pagan? Yeah, this has this has no juice. I've been asked this like ten times. I thought this was going to kind of just be like kind of known that like why would you go down there? Because oh look at Wawa. Russ is drinking Wawa coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you're a such an asshole where's your sheets coffee you don't have a sheets coffee i have know? a sheets cup i'm not gonna drive 35 40 minutes north wait, wait this guy like has been seat. talking incessant shit about wawa for years now and you just lifted a wawa hold coffee no, no, no. hold on you know what and i'm not even, fuck you because you are part of the problem kincaid you don't like i know the the ultimate you know line walker here is yeah. unable to acknowledge the fact that like i've been very down the middle on this issue before my problem is that so many people in wawa country shit on sheets and so many people in sheets country shit on wawa yeah. they're both good at different things if you put a wawa and a sheets at the same block i would just as easily say i'm going to go over here for one thing and over here for the other I, and like anybody who doesn't agree with that i don't know what to tell you like, what would you go to Sheets for? Sheets has the fryer. Wawa doesn't have a fryer. So anything that needs to be fried. I can yeah. go into a Sheets at any time, get tots. I can get tots on my breakfast burrito, which, by the way, which is great. Uh, you want to get mozzarella sticks. You want chicken tenders, anything, a- anything, jalapeno popper. You want to do like the, the mac and cheese bites. It's all in the deep fryer. Yeah. Cholesterol. That's what you go to Sheets for. You go for the hardening of the arteries. Yeah. I lived in like, both worlds. Sheets, if you're wasted, yeah. if you get wasted in cold country, Sheets is the best thing for you, all right? Sheets has helped me out from avoiding many a morning hangover. Yeah. Wawa ain't doing that, man. Oh, bull fucking shit. Yeah. You ever had the, you ever had the, uh, the chicken finger bowl with the uh, mashed potatoes? You'll you use the chicken fingers the baked, to scoop out the, the mashed potatoes? Chicken, the baked <laughs> chicken bowl? Oh, I'm not trying to get a drunk in uh, cold country ever again. I did four, four years of that at West Virginia. But uh, 
You see the video of Ben Simmons and Howard Eskin this morning. Apparently, they're like best friends right. now. Look at that comment. Look at the comment that just came in. There you go. See, I don't think they. I don't think it does. I've been to a couple of Sheets before. I do not think Sheets has better food. I don't think they've like they have like not better burgers, not better burritos. Like, I just on. never thought Nobody, it was that good. Sheets nor Wawa should be offering burgers. They don't belong it either. Well, somebody call up. Here. Let's call up uh, Senator John Fetterman's office. Pagan, you've had luck contacting senators before in the past. Why don't you hit up Fetterman and uh, see if we can get him on the program to to break this down? I was an asshole, and I had my guy from North Penn now ask Fetterman about Wawa and Sheets at a Lansdale appearance, and he did it for me, but. I do appreciate Fetterman uh, sticking to sheets. If you're a sheets guy from a sheets country, I feel I feel uh, I feel appreciative that you you go down with the ship. I think that um, won him Fetterman votes in the Philadelphia region because they said, "Oh, this guy's not a fraud. He's not. He's not like gonna go. Oh, I love Wawa now just to just to uh, you know to pander to to Delco. Right? We've got enough pandering in the Philadelphia area. Right. If Fetterman doesn't answer the phone, call Doctor Oz and ask him what he would put in his crudite. A real man of the people. Some this say. is where Bob. This is where Bob would roll off this. New table. Jersey tomatoes. <laughs> um, I'm just glad wanted, we're done with that shit, man. I yeah, oh, thank yeah. God. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys this before we moved off of the the birds. Um, who do you guys think? We had this discussion, I think, in our Slack chat a little bit. Not nothing crazy, but um, the Eagles probably got need to go four and three. They probably need to win 13 games to get the number one seed. Who's the biggest threat to the Eagles in, in the NFC, you think? I, I would probably label it down to the Cowboys and the 49ers and the Vikings. Whoever wants to take it first can go. Go, Russ. You go, Russ, first. It's Dallas. Really? It has to be Dallas. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, I, I I'm, not to, I'm, not, I'm not sold on what Minnesota is yet. I don't really fear Minnesota. Um, the, the Niners, if you had to play the... If, if the bottom fell out for the Eagles and you had to go on the road to play the Niners, I might fear the Niners a bit. Um, but I, I think it's Dallas. I just do. I, you, you have the division element of it. By the time you hit the postseason, like, are you talking about on the way to getting the number one seed or if you run a- into them in the NFC championship game? Yeah, like, I, I would still be worried because you've played two games against Dallas, right? Like, there's always that weird thing that, like, anything can happen in a divisional game. And, and the teams in your division know you the absolute best. So, like, I think that's it. There's, like, an inherent added pressure because it's your biggest rival. Like, you've got all that going for you. I, I, I think that's probably the toughest one. What do you think, Kev? Probably Dallas because they still have to play uh, the entire AFC South. You know, they still get the Texans and the Jags. And if they get by the, the Giants, then they're, what, seven or uh... – they're seven and three now. Eight and three. Then they go to eight and three. You figure they'll probably beat Indy, Jacksonville, Houston. I mean, they could very easily get to twelve wins, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I think when yeah. you say thirteen for the Eagles, I think that probably makes that's probably right. You know? Yeah. There's some stat out there that I think the last like ten playoff teams who have gotten the number one seed have had thirteen or more wins. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. San San Fran is like six and four. I see. I'm I, see. I'm I'm most scared of of the 49ers. I the mean, Niners. let me let me read you off some stats. I did some digging. Here's the numbers since they got uh, Christian McCaffrey over the last yeah. three games, and this is how they would stack up against the league if it was an 11 game sample size. So, and this just doesn't take an effect of the game yesterday when they actually blew out the Arizona Cardinals. But it's kind of like did the Cardinals suck or are the 49ers good? That's what sucks about the NFL sometimes. Like you want to like be able to analyze these teams. You're like, well, if you look at the uh, the Tankathon right now. 
the, the Saints have the tenth pick and they're four and seven. How many years have has four and seven been the tenth worst team? I feel like that's been a top five pick every single year. I mean, here's my thing. Like, hold on, let me do my numbers real quick. I know I'm going to forget. All right, so here's my numbers for the last three games. Points per game, 25.3. If that was over an 11-game sample size, that'd be sixth in the league. Total yards per game, 399. That'd be third in the league. Passing yards, 276, fourth in the league. Rushing yards per game, 123, 13th in the league right now. So, And then there's this also this, this guy who works at uh, Circus Sports. Um, he does sports book operations there. So is he is he big? I, I don't know, but he, he did say this, um, that according to him, if the 49ers would be favored or if, sorry, if the 49ers played Dallas and they played the Eagles on a neutral site, they'd be favored right now. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I know the Niners are a different team now than they were at the first half of the year, but their, their best win is over. I don't, I guess the chargers, um, you know, they beat the brakes off the Cardinals, but I mean, Seattle, they beat Geno Smith in Seattle, who who are kind of punching above their weight, too. I don't know. I just don't I, – I haven't – I'm looking for something signature from them. You know what I mean? I don't I don't know what it is. Yeah, I just don't think you can look at this 49ers team from the first eight games. I think you just look at them yeah. from CMs, from Christian McCaffrey and on. I mean, they yeah. have yeah. – and, and listen, they don't have a really tough opponent – for the rest of the season, they have Saints next week, Dolphins, Dolphins. two weeks from now. Yeah. But like people are still the same way with the Dolphins. Like, are the Dolphins punching up? Like, there's like, uh, then they have the Buccaneers, who I don't necessarily believe, and they have the Seahawks again, the Commies, the Raiders, and the Cardinals. We're looking at a potentially thirteen yeah. win San Francisco You're- team when it's all said and done. You know, you're fair to point out that, like, maybe you should evaluate the team based on what they are with McCaffrey. But if there's one thing we've learned about him over his career, it's that he inevitably will get hurt. And they're like, there's a there's a chance he misses three or four of those games. There's also a chance that like he's not available for a playoff game. So like I I'm not exactly sold on the idea of him maintaining perfect health throughout that stretch. Yeah. Is the team still good enough to pick up wins? Probably. I I don't necessarily consider them to be like a uh, a legit threat if they're if they come to Philly for the NFC Championship. You, you talk I mean, about I, when the 49ers are the second seed at the end of the year. I do think the Eagles probably have the hardest schedule out of that group of teams that we're talking about, though, right? I mean, because Minnesota still has to play like the Bears and like in their division, Bears and Packers. They get the Giants at home, but then they get the Lions. They play the the Patriots and the Jets, I think, in uh, like back to back weeks. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it. Whatever. I, I don't. I don't. I'll tell you this. I don't believe in the Giants. I think the Giants have finally like run out of steam. The, I, the Vikings. I don't really know if they're a. You know, they proved that they're a pretender last week, right? So it's like so that. So that leaves. I mean, it's like process of elimination here, is it not? At least you have the Cowboys and the Niners, you know, and they it's both have the really Cowboys good and the Niners. I, but because I, I agree 100 with you, I think the Vikings are frauds. Like I, I, everyone looked at that Bills game last week, and it's just like they were missing four of their key secondary guys. Uh, they forget that Kirk Cousins didn't get into the end zone, and if Josh Allen doesn't fumble in the end zone, yeah. that's a loss. And and yeah. Buffalo sitting at eight and two, and the Vikings are sitting at uh, eight and three right now with us having the tiebreaker. I, I'm mostly worried about the 49ers, and I think it's because I just I don't know who the Cowboys are. Like they can score, their defense, their defense is awesome. Tyron Smith coming back, but like they don't stop the run that well. They lose with a 14 point lead in Lambeau. 
two weeks ago. Like I can't ever believe in Mike McCarthy. And it's, I just feel like they, 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 when they're good, they always just start smelling themselves. Like nobody wants to say they're a Super Bowl contender. And then you have Jerry Jones after the game being like, yeah, we're a Super Bowl contender. Maybe we should address these uh, yeah. concerns at, at wide receiver and go get OBJ and stuff. And it's just like this, I feel like they just shoot themselves in the foot and it's because they're just, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit because of they Jerry Jones. Maybe it's a little bit because they've never really had a coach that you ever believe in. Like the, the if they'd like, shown Peyton, Dallas, I would. Yeah. I would yeah, say, I, yeah. I like the five or six times that I've watched Dallas at Sierra, it seems like they, they their highs are really high, but their lows are really low too. I think there's just more variation between like what they can be in any any given week or any given half of football, you know, whereas I think some of those other teams are a little more playing kind of closer to the, their their mean you know what i mean like dallas i think i think if dallas is firing on all cylinders like i think that they beat anybody in the in the league i mean I, I know it's not a profound thing to say but like i think that their ceiling is much higher than other teams ceilings like i really do believe that you know do you think they, they have a higher ceiling than the eagles? offensive side for sure What's do you think they have a higher ceiling than the eagles B- just barely just barely i mean when they played each other too like <clears throat> put the Cooper rush shit aside, like, and people were talking about the, the, the two defenses, right. Everybody was praising the Dallas defense. I mean, like the Eagles defense was right there, but Dallas like just had them pipped like in most like meaningful statistical categories. I I think it's barely, I don't think it's by much, but like when they're playing their best, like, I think that they're the best team for sure. Like I just do. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a hot take either. Cause like when they, when they've been like all on their own, it, it would have been really interesting if Dak doesn't break his thumb in the first game of the season. Yeah, we we could be talking yeah. about potentially yeah nine and one Dallas seven and three eight and two uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Um, yeah, maybe the uh, Philly game turns out different. I don't know, you know, because they won games with Cooper Rush, but you know, yeah. You know, and then I would also say you could also say once Lane Johnson went out, Michael Parsons actually started, you know, causing you know uh, actually yeah. started playing. Um, Kev. I liked your one article. I want you to, before we get into a quick World Cup recap, tell the people, give the people who listen um, some defensive statistics that'll make them sound very uh, smart at the dinner table this weekend. Because there are going to be some Jonathan, your uncle's going to hate Jonathan Gannon. Well, you should, yeah, if you're arguing, if you're sitting there at Thanksgiving and you're arguing with your uncle or anybody else about the Eagles and they say they don't like Jonathan Gannon, you got to frame it like by, oh, you got to open with this. You got to say, they're schemed to prevent the big play, right? So you say 25 plays of 20-plus yards allowed is the second fewest in the NFL. They're the second-best team in the NFL at not giving up big plays is largely what they are schemed to do, right? Um, then if you if somebody says, <clears throat> well, you know, they don't get to the quarterback, they're not aggressive enough or anything like that. Um, 50 tackles for loss, 10th most in the league. 3.3 sacks per game, third best in the league. So I they get, they didn't, uh, wait, wait, the, their defensive line is pretty good. It the is. Yeah. Despite the fact that they only blitz like the, the, the blitzing numbers are like subjective, right? So when you go to like a sport radar or a pro football focus or something like that, they're going to categorize it differently. Some people call it something a blitz. Some people don't, but they, they have them right in the middle of the pack now. So in terms of aggression, whether they're laying off or whether they're trying to get to the quarterback, it's kind of flat. Right. So you can put some stock in those numbers where they do get to the court. They do hit the quarterback at a top 10 rate. They do sack the quarterback at a top five rate. Um, they do most of those things very well. They're also the sixth least least sixth least penalized defense in the league. Only 21 flags. 
Um, they've only given up 31 opponent scoring drives. That's tied for the second fewest. Uh, 18.3 points allowed per game, seventh best. Uh, 66 quarterback hits, sixth best in the league. Right, So largely they do a lot of very good things. 21 takeaways remains number one league-wide. Seven strip sacks tied with Dallas for the league best. So everybody's going to come back. Your uncle's going to come back and he's going to say to you, what about the run defense? They've given up 122.2 rushing yards per game. It's 19th, right? But here's what people need to understand about rushing yards. It's kind of like turnovers in the NBA where there's not a lot of variation in the middle. So the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'll give you this, 10th best rushing defense in the league, 110 yards per game. Atlanta Falcons, 21st best, 123 yards per game. So the difference separating 10th from 21st, that whole chunk of the middle there, is 13 yards, right? So really not a lot. So you're saying the difference between the top and the bottom being one thing, but like really in that middle of the pack there, there's not there's not much to separate you being a top 10 team versus being a bottom 10 team. So I think that's what people got to understand. You got to tell your uncle like they're willing to concede a lot of that running because they don't want to give up anything deep. You know, that's just philosophically what they are. Now, does this uncle have a shrine to Buddy Ryan in his basement, you think? Oh, it's likely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, watch the birds back in the day, you know, all that yeah. shit. Kelly Green. Kelly you Green, know. all that, you know. Uh, Seth Joyner couldn't have played in this era because he they would have wanted to take him out of the game and he doesn't care yeah. if his tongue was hanging out of his mouth. He would have never yeah. came out of the game. He would have played 70 snaps as defensive yeah. tackle. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Well, by the way, and that was probably the biggest. I mean, if you're talking about a lot of what people were talking, the storylines we were talking about defensively afterwards, they only, they held Indy to 99 rushing yards. Linval Joseph was in there on the first play of the game. Dominican Sue played 19 snaps. I think Joseph played 26. So it's like 40% for, for Joseph. And then Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargave, they were able to pull them back down into like the 70% range. You know, I mean, it's funny that Seth Joyner clip because I know he wasn't like really speaking it literally, but it's it for a defensive tackle to play 70 snaps like Fletcher Cox did the week before there typically aren't even like 70 defensive snaps in a game right and, and so that, that's almost like a full game on under normal circumstances and um you know they 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 do heavy rotation anyway they play five defensive tackles so it's not yeah. it's mostly meaningless when people are talking about it because but Joseph and Sue allowed them to pull back Cox and Hargrave, so they didn't have to run them ragged. And then they controlled the clock this time around. So the issue that they ran into the week before was not an issue this time around, not at all. Can I give you guys a Positelfia and a Negadelfia before we go to the Weltmeisterschaft? Can we do that real quick? Mm-hmm. Um, this will put a, a perfect bow on full circle here. At the beginning of the show, one of the things that Kevin outlined as being like one of the concerning, you know, if you want to call it a concerning moment in the Jalen Hurts performance, was that there was a play late in the game where he takes a sack. He go, he's going out of bounds. He's unable to get rid of the ball so that it takes him out of field goal range. And that that's one of the moments that Kevin highlighted of like, I think three like poor decisions are like not great plays that hurts made. Let's all go back a couple of years and think about how many times, like how we were so conditioned to expect that from the starting quarterback before yeah. Jalen hurts yeah, that we wouldn't have even, that wouldn't even been a blip on the radar. Like just think about how far, the yeah. consistency and like the level of like consistent and intelligent decision making that that has been happening with this guy, you know, as your starting quarterback this year has been versus the past. That's the Positelphia. So we should all feel good about the Eagles. Yeah. Here's your Negadelphia. This will take 20 seconds. The Flyers just released their injury report. And I just wanted to help you guys with this uh, just to give some perspective on how bad things are right now. Scott Lawton just got put on injured reserve. They think he's going to be out two weeks. Travis Konechny is out 10 to 14 days. 
Uh, Wade Allison is going to be out two to three weeks. Cam Atkinson remains out on a week-to-week basis. Still no information at all about what's going on there. Uh, Couturier is expected to return in three to four months following his surgery on October 27th, which brings him back maybe January, February. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk is out six weeks from his surgery on October 28th. Apparently, they got like the back-to-back surgery date uh, discount. So good job, Comcast Spectacore. And then Bobby Brink uh, is expected to be back five months following his surgery from July 21st. So guys, I I don't know if it can be uh, summed up in any other way than what a freaking mess and a disaster. Like there, there is no team in professional sports who I think can put that kind of list out. It's insane. Absolutely. Thank hard for Bedard, baby. Well, that's why it made me laugh when Torts came out the other day and he said, we just need to get some players back. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, who is, who, who, really is coming back besides like JVR, you know, cause you had two guys who were, I mean, might not, their careers may be over for all we know. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think Cam Atkinson's oh, coming back anytime soon and, either. And that doesn't even mention Ryan Ellis. Who's, you know, just kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Ellis and Coots. I mean, like what the fuck is up with that? Like, yeah, that's why it just made me laugh. Cause I'm like, I, okay. Yeah. You do need players to come back, but who, who are you expecting to come back? So I don't know. Now it's time to tank hard for, Apparently, it wasn't a good idea to build a roster about you know a bunch of guys who historically have had injury issues and just hey. expect them to all be healthy. Who knew? At least we're gonna have Deloria and McEwen just fucking tattooing dudes on the ice. When they're down four nothing. <laughs> Set the tone, baby. Set the tone. We're gonna be down four nothing. They're just gonna be beating the shit out of people. <laughs> you know, that's what um, can Russ skate. I say no. Also, Russ can't throw a, a baseball 90, 90 feet. I can. You're supposed to be the one to set it up, and you never did. So lies and slander, libel. All you have to do is just go to a fucking baseball field, get one of your 17 kids to film it, and have one of your 17 kids sit at first, yeah. and you sit at home and throw the ball. Nope. <laughs> nope. We're making a big production out of it. No, nope. We're not making a big production out of it. It would take two seconds. Nope. Um, big news. Speaking of big production, the World Cup. What a big production. No beer, no wearing anti-hatred sentiments on your on your right arm. No fun, no nothing. A lot of people not upset about that tie. Kevin, you were one of them. I saw the Inquirer said there was some impressive football. I thought the U.S. looked like shit in the second half anyway. Like looked like they were playing defensive football against Wales, weren't trying to score, only had three shots on goal tactically. I know that's a big uh, buzzword in the uh, in the football Very realm. Yeah. Passes didn't look crisp. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought Pulisic played out of his mind. He uh, he's a lot of fun to watch, but the substructure was weird. Like it just seemed like they took their foot off the gas, and they're and they're playing against Wales when I think the most important thing is going to be goal differential. And it feels like they're always playing for second place. Mm-hmm. And now we hope that England doesn't dog walk us and then not dog walk Wales because they're already in the next group stage. And then we're sitting at home because we can't beat Iran six, nothing. What do you think about this? Very accurate. Yeah. Very good. Very good stuff by you. That was great soccer knowledge, man. I'm impressed actually. You know, Kev, I haven't watched a USA game in about four years. I was yelling at my, my TV. I was, I was it was a was good game. Yeah, it was an entertaining game. I, I guess the reason I'm not mad about it is because I wasn't surprised. 
I think like I was talking to somebody before the game and they asked me for a prediction. I was like, ah, it feels like a one, one or a two, two or something. That, but I don't, they I feel look, like this is the best team they've had in like, well, definitely eight years, but forever. I mean, they've got yeah. guys that are in legit like Euro leagues. That's true. But they, they are, they are very, very young. I think the statistic Russ is what aren't we the second youngest team second in the youngest. world cup? Yeah. Yeah. So and they're also, I think, I think for, they're also managed by a fucking moron. We'll just hold that they're, thought for a second. I could, <laughs> if you can, can get to that i think that's that's what i'm going to back end with because i think the first half was some of the best soccer i've ever watched this team play you know i mean they looked great and they were pushing the pace they were controlling it was absolutely fucking bizarre to see a european team sit back against the united states because like i'm old enough to remember when tim howard had to make 75 saves just to keep us in it against belgium and we're just getting throttled left and right i mean we've come a long way in a short great game that was an awesome game yeah, but Which, they, by the way, makes makes it so funny that like Dempsey and Landon Donovan are like the experts on American soccer. Yeah. And it's like now that's a I whole mean, other thing. I, we can I talk about the they, broadcast on on whatever. But I, I think like what they need to do, Pagan, is like they got to because they're so young and like inexperienced at this stage, they got to like learn how to control a game in the second half and how to manage it and how to close it out. I didn't like the subs. Like, of course, you bring Brendan Aronson on, of course. But uh, Gio Reyna should have played in this game. There's no fucking excuse for him not to be on the field at all, unless his leg is about to fall off. I thought that. I thought he was quoted. His name's Claudio. That was he was he was quoted at some point since the game. He was quoted, and they showed it on the FS1 telecast Mm -hmm. today. He said he doesn't know why he didn't play. That had to be you know Berhalter's decision, the manager. But he's a hundred percent healthy. There, unless I don't know if Burhalter has like a daughter who's Gio Reyna's age, and like Reyna like had a one night stand and like broke her heart. Yeah. But like aside from that, there's absolutely no excuse to not have Gio Reyna in the game. None. Yeah, Zero. I mean, if, if the only the only thing I can think of is that he's a good like technical tactical player, unless maybe he thought like he he was he's a finesse player and like we're trying to do something different with Jordan Morris. I don't know what the, I don't really know what the thought was at all, but like they just got to manage they, Like everybody's got to manage it better and like close it out. They looked great for the first 45 minutes. Yeah. They had moments in the second half too. And look, they, they, on the, on the goal that Wales scored, it's a quick throw in on the side. Like I give them credit for picking the ball up and just fucking throwing it and going and Walker Zimmerman doesn't have to do that. I think the thing that annoys me is that people are like, Oh, well, the only MLS guy on the on the roster, you know, committed the penalty or whatever. Well, I mean, the goalkeeper, the other center back, and the defensive midfielder, who, by the way, the def- Tyler Adams was the best player on the field yesterday, they all came from MLS. Yeah. The guy who scored for Wales plays in MLS now. So, like, the MLS shit just bothers me because it's a lot. It's like people who don't watch the sport very often just saying shit to say shit. And there's, like, 30-some dudes from MLS who are – in the world cup only nine of them are playing for the united states so there's there's tons of mls dudes playing for other teams i just didn't i just thought they made one mistake at an inopportune time and they didn't manage the game very well but i thought they played pretty well overall so i can't i can't like 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 going into the game like thinking the way i thought like i can't really be that disappointed by it you know yeah, I, was I, disappointed. I, I will take the flip side i'll take the flip side of yeah that. definitely hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I thought going into that game, the goal had to be to beat Wales because you know that England is probably going to run roughshod on everyone. Yeah. And once you saw England decimate Iran the way they did, even if in like your most positive outcome, you were like in a spot where like things were going to get close and you were going to you know hang tight with England, goal differential was always going to be a thing that you were going to have to look back on. And like you take a lead in dominant fashion in the first half. If you're Burhalter everything that you're instructing this young team to do in that second half has to be, we are keeping the pedal to the metal as best we can. We are maintaining possession as much as we can. And then maybe with 20 minutes left, we're going to start to sit back. 
but it's not a full bunker situation. You're, you're not going to do that. This team is at its best when it's on its front foot. That second half, most of it was played on their back foot. They just were not ready for that moment. And, and that's where I come back to like the manager is a dipshit. The manager is like he got his job the way that Brian Colangelo got his, except instead of it being his daddy, it was his brother who like oversaw the thing and then, you know, recused himself from being part of the, the search. But like tactically very poorly done in the second half, the game plan wasn't there. And I get that it's a young team. As a manager, it is your responsibility to communicate to somebody on that field, to look at a leader on that field, to calm the team down, to get back to the way that you've played, you know, what you want to call winning football and like get it done. Don't don't put yourself in a position where a stupid ass tackle in the box yeah. is going to be the thing that brings you down. There is no excuse, by the way, for that tackle. None whatsoever. You can make the argument that, you know, he made contact with the ball. It is a stupid thing to do uh, in any in any circumstance. And I said it. Uh, in our Slack chat going into it, it's like you just wait for the moment that like Gareth Bale, who just broke every union fan's heart like a week and a half ago, Dickhead. is going to like be the one who scores the decisive goal. Yeah. And it happens. It sucks. That it happens as a penalty. But yeah. like uh, that's where I'm fr- You know, I, I come out of that game being frustrated because conceptually you should have been in position to go, you know, get two wins. You know, pick up this win, pick up the Iran win. Yeah. Well, the and, problem and have yourself in, in legitimate standing to potentially move on. Yeah. And now you're like a bad, you know, you're a, a, a one nothing win over Iran and, and Wales pulling out, you know, a, a five nil win from like going home. That's my issue. Like that. That's yeah. why I just kind of go like I can't even look for I can't look for like the moral victory in it because you had the ability to close this team out and you showed that you could be dominant for 45 minutes and, and longer. I don't know. Well, I, and, I, and the problem, yeah. The, the, so here's what's going to happen: like England's going to finish on nine points, USA is going to probably finish on four, Wales on four, and then Iran will probably lose all three games. So you're playing the goal differential battle. But the problem is that you got to play England next, and then Wales gets England at the end, right? So England may already be through, and they may pull a bunch of starters, and they may just you know bullshit their way through the last game. I, I don't know. I still think England's bench players are good enough to run rough shot over Wales anyway. So that's the problem. You would have liked to have it have it backwards to make to make Wales go get a result against England on Friday when we got to play them right so that's the only thing when you're playing the goal differential games that you wanted the schedule to be flipped like that you know so I get what people are saying about like that one was important it was important you know but I guess I just didn't like I just I just figured they're really young like I don't expect much from them going into the tournament at all so yes in a vacuum it was shitty but I didn't like I, I'm not surprised. I guess is what I'm saying. The, the counter on the England point, though, is if you're Southgate, the manager of England, for those who are not familiar, you'll, you'll hear plenty about him on Friday. If you're Southgate and you go into that final game against Wales and you sit a bunch of your starters, like you're trying to get a bunch of guys like their minutes in a, a rather meaningless match, yeah. and then you go out and you get smacked in the first elimination round in that round of 16, like you're screwed. Like Southgate yeah. essentially yeah. will have opened himself up for every bit of criticism. I wouldn't be surprised to see him roll out most, if not all of his, his uh, starting 11 from the first two games in that game to kind of like leave no stone unturned. The only one that maybe he sits is Harry Kane, who, you know, is one bad tackle away from missing the rest of the tournament. So you got yeah. that. Yeah. Russ, remind me again, do you remember, uh, is it, is it group A versus group B in the knockout round? I don't remember. So I think England, I if I have it right, if England's the winner of that group, they would get the second place team from Group A. 
I think that's how it usually works, right? Okay. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, because they want to position themselves to I mean, England will smash pretty much whoever they play, I think, in the in the next round. But yeah, you want to go into it with momentum. So I don't know. Quick plug, watch party two PM Friday at Founding Fathers in Philadelphia. Not a crossing broad sponsored event, not a crossing broad sponsored event for legal yeah. reasons. But yeah, if you're out there, I'll be out there. You know, maybe these guys will surprise me. Probably a five percent chance that they come, but hey, you know what? It's good because you. This is the best. You know, I know I. I don't like the World Cup in the winter time. I prefer it in the summertime. But this is a pretty good slate of uh, of 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 just sports in general. If you're uh, looking to either watch or bet, I mean, you have the NFL, you have college football, you have the World Cup, you have the Maui Invitational going on right now. It's Feast Week. You got the NBA. I mean, you can legitimately watch and bet on sports games from eight a.m. to midnight every single day for the next month. Yeah. And if you're watching us from the old line state, of course, the great state of Maryland, legal online sports betting is going to go fully live in your state on Wednesday. So make sure you go over to crossingrod.com or elitesportsnewyork.com and read about some of the uh, the great things going on in Maryland online sports betting. Yeah. By the way, just real quick, that was right. It's Group A and Group B. So, um, but EJ makes this point too. It's like if you if if Wales beats Iran, England can't really sit guys because they do need a result from that game. But I think they can swap out a couple of dudes and still beat Wales pretty easily because you don't. If you're England, you want to play Ecuador in the or Senegal in the in the second round and not have to play Netherlands in the yeah. first first you know game of the knockout. So, yeah. hey, Kev. Put into sports terms that Saudi Arabia winning over Argentina is—is is it like the Giants beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl? So- Appalachian State beating Michigan at Michigan. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's massive, just incredibly massive. By the way, Argentina, Russ, didn't they win like thirty-six? Or they were like unbeaten? Yeah, for they, like they had won straight thirty-six straight matches. They were one away from tying the uh, the all-time record that had been set by Italy at thirty-seven yeah. matches. So they. Yeah, it's one of the biggest. World Cup upsets like ever, like top three or four. Dude, some of the videos coming out of Saudi Arabia are awesome. Like they're, they're shooting the machine gun up. Just in shooting the machine gun. There's guys that are like ripping their doors off the hinges and uh, throwing them at the wall outside. Like yeah. who who would have thought that Saudi Arabia and the U.S. are like the same in terms of how they root for how they it's root kind of their home team. turf, man. I mean, if you look on a map, like like Qatar may as well just be an extension of Saudi Arabia. Like they're used to playing in those they're like a mole. They get, they're, yeah. they're a mole on. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah, they they are. It it like Qatar is basically just like a peninsula of Saudi Arabia. Like if you really, you know, there's your geography lesson. The UAE of like Kuwait, I feel like. And they're also trying to get what? Which uh, World Cup is it, Kevin? They're trying to get. It's like one of one of the next two that are up for bid. Saudi Arabia is supposed to be one of the the countries that are. Well, it's going so well with with Qatar right now. Why don't we go right back to the Middle East for? uh, Hey, listen. The the app might not be working for fans' tickets, but you know sometimes you you go looking for beer. You're you're a British guy, and you end up in a sheik's house, and you end up petting his lion and riding in his Lamborghini down the highway. So yeah. you know what? No beer, but you can go into a sheik's house. It's going, next time we'll send, we'll send you to do man on the street in uh, Riyadh. You know, if you uh, if you do man on the street, uh, can you not? Uh, try to virtue signal like Grant Wall. Does that count? No. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Sign Follow up. Here. Sign page. up here for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Don't. We'll do an entire another podcast of that. We'll talk about that on Always Soccer. About that. By All the right, way, well, we we have this, to we have to close out because the Triple X eighteen online. Uh, oh no. Found the chat. We're getting spammed. Oh no. Here. <laughs> and usually when we do things over an hour fifteen long, that's when you know that the uh, it's kind of, it's time to hang it up. I think that's just Craig logging into his. Is that Craig telling us something? That's time to wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah, that's Craig. Yeah. Lo- 
Kevin yeah. logging into his old uh, YouTube uh, channel. Man. Kev's Mr. Uh, Geography. Kev, what are the the uh, the relations between Qatar and Saudi Arabia? Are they on good terms or no? Uh, I know that Qatar and Iran hate each other, right? Okay. I don't think. So let's this- just yeah. let's just imagine that Qatar and Saudi Arabia love each other. Okay. What about the conspiracy theory that Lionel Messi threw the game because he's making Boku bucks from the Qataris who own Paris Saint Germain? I'm j- just throwing it out there. Through the game, a lot of my they remember going into the to Qatar's first game. Uh, the rumor was that they had paid seven and a half million dollars to uh, Ecuadorian players Ecuador, yeah. to throw that game. Yeah. But nobody noticed. Nobody was talking about the potential of a Lionel Messi buy it. I'm just I saying. Think, I say. think Qatar is cool with like the Emirates and like Oman and like Bahrain. Like what do they call them? Like the Shield Peninsula, Shield Force, or some shit. I think they share a military. But I don't think that they're cool with like they're definitely not cool with Iran. I don't know if they're cool with Saudi Arabia, but they're kind of like they they exist on like their own kind of like in their own world. Will they're, the U.S. beating Iran six nothing escalate tensions of nuclear war? Six one zero six three two zero nine seven five. We'll we'll probably get the uh, the the pissed off and like ready to play nothing to lose Iran with their best <laughs> player healthy. Yeah, you know that you know that that's gonna happen. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show. Thank you to everyone who's listened. Thank you to Craig behind on the ones and twos. Thank you to Rush Joy, bringing him out in relief. Our we'll do more Middle Eastern uh, geography on the next show next week. <laughs> no <laughs> show on Thursday because it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Will you let me do the fucking outro? Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Man, that's wimpy. I'm going to be working on Thanksgiving to make this company money, and you guys are taking off. Do a freaking podcast, pig. Bro, we got we got different lives, man. We're we're content. You're Disgusting. commercial, you know. Disgusting. You're like sales. We're content. Content always wins. As long as we keep as long as we keep the people laughing and we keep the people clicking, that's our job, baby. So I'm Kyle Pagan, and uh, we will talk to you next Tuesday.